The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I've done a piss poor job lately of actually starting with the lead. And so we're going to do it before I even introduce the podcast. A trade happened on Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. And for those of you listening to this podcast on Sunday, because it is the Friday show, you're going to be thinking, why is the damn Thursday news the lead? Well, too bad. I remembered. Jeff Teague was traded, along with Travion Graham, to the Atlanta Hawks for Alan Crabb in what is basically a salary-related move and a personality-related move because apparently Carl Anthony Towns just doesn't get along with anybody anymore. And uh, first Jimmy Butler destroyed his psyche, and now he just doesn't like Jeff Teague. And I mean, we saw all the videos and whatever circulating on the internet about Towns throwing temper tantrums on the, the court when Teague didn't pass him the ball fast enough. At the end of the day, Jeff Teague is actually still a decent basketball player from the just straight up who got the better assets in this deal it is absolutely positively the Atlanta Hawks, and I don't think it can even be argued because Alan Crabb, much as I love my former Golden Bear, is never healthy and has a one-trick stat set. That's the three-pointer. He's probably going to be packaged. I'm sure Minnesota's still trying to figure out a way to get... We heard D'Angelo Russell's in their sights, but that's a long way from getting anywhere to where the Warriors would agree. And the long way that I reckon is probably Jared Culver-related. So, from a fantasy standpoint, before we introduce the podcast, what does this mean? Well, Jeff Teague isn't going to play much. If he gets to 20 minutes, I think that would probably be a win. That would involve playing alongside Trey Young for some six to eight minutes per ball game, which feels like a bad defensive idea, because Teague is fine defensively if he's guarding a point guard, if you throw him on a 6'6 shooting guard who can raise up over him, that's probably asking for some trouble. And then Trey Young, who, by the way, his steals have improved a little bit, he's still going to get steamrolled by anybody who weighs more than about 210. If that. Now, offensively, that's a nice pairing. Jeff T can finally come in. They finally have a point guard to back up Young. And I know what you guys are thinking. Dan, didn't you just talk about Kevin Herter being something of a de facto point guard? Yes and no, because the metrics actually show that Herter's been worse when he's not on the floor with Trey Young. They play better together, and some of it is just, you know, hockey assist type stuff. Trey Young breaks down the defense, he finds Herter, Kevin pump fake drive finds the next guy for the open look. He's been picking up assists as part of plays that he and Trey are able to run while existing together. Yeah, I'm sure there will be some spots where he's playing with a reserve unit and Jeff Teague, and Jeff maybe is the guy who initiates the offense, but that doesn't actually necessarily mean that it's all bad for Kevin's assist. So let's not freak out about Herter yet. I think he'll be fine. This clears out one wing player that, not that Alan Crabb was challenging him for any minutes, but, you know, if it was going to get six, those six are now zero. They'll go somewhere else. Herter's going to be fine. Teague is not going to play. Crabb is probably not going to play. And so what you're looking at here is... The Wolves really sent away more minutes than they got back. This hurts Brandon Goodwin, if you're looking at the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, we have to know a lot of names to do a fantasy podcast. You know what I realized? And then I'll talk about what this means for the Timberwolves. I, I, was, I was having a conversation. It happened to be with my mother, actually, who was talking about someone she knows that's big into basketball. And I thought, oh, awesome. I finally get to talk to somebody about hoops. And then I stopped and went, mm, about the last... 250 times I've tried to talk to a casual basketball fan about basketball, I've said things that if someone said them to me about a different sport, I'd be like, all right, I'm done with this guy. So now I'm that guy in basketball. I have to figure out a way to turn it off when I'm having a conversation with somebody. But the problem is, you guys know, you're, you guys are deep into fantasy if you're listening to this pod every day. We study this so hard we know so many players and the intricacies of so many teams and matchups and when they're better. And it's like you try to have a conversation where someone's, well, someone says something like, hey, do you think so-and-so got a good deal? And it's like, well, I got 25 minutes on that, but do you want to hear it? 
No, they don't. They never do. And so we exist in a state of permanent loneliness. We fantasy fans, we have each other, and that's about it. Okay, Timberwolves. Number one, we've been talking for a couple of weeks on this podcast about Jarrett Culver's upside. This is good for him. Not that they really needed to clear the runway for Culver any more than they already have, but they now have. They really, there was nothing more that needed to happen here, but more happened. Okay? In that one of the only players that was challenging him for ball handling work was Teague, Andrew Wiggins, Shabazz Napier. I mean, you get rid of one of those guys, it's good for the other dudes that are relying on handling the basketball. Okay. Number two. He should have been on your team already. So this, you know, I think you just, you, you start him with a tiny bit more confidence than you had before and you continue to pray that he doesn't get to the free throw line. Shabazz Napier was another guy that came up in some questions. I added him, not everywhere, actually, just a couple of spots. And the reason for that is I'm not sure that he has the kind of role that warrants a all-team roster spot. He's okay from a steals per 36 standpoint. It's tough to extrapolate, though, because he's never really played consistent 36-y kind of minutes. You know, he had a season in Portland two years ago where he had a steal at 1.1, actually, in only 20 and a half minutes of ball game. So you, you'd run that one out to 36 minutes. That's almost two steals a game. But that's not going to hold. If somebody like that plays the full 36, that number's going to come down. As we saw somewhat recently with Napier, you know, he played 29 minutes in that last ball game. He didn't have any. 27 minutes the game before, none. 20 the previous two games, none. And as guys get older, not that he's an older ball player, he's only been in the league for a half decade, but every year these types of things do tend to come down a tiny bit if it's largely speed-related, and with him, I think a lot of it is. There's instincts as well. I don't take anything away from Napier. So let's assume that... Let's, let's call him one steal a game, right? I think maybe there's a chance he gets above that number. The key here for him is that when Teague came back, his role was pretty obviously diminished. His minutes went down. It was a, it was a very clear linear correlation. Jeff Teague took his minutes largely from Shabazz Napier. Not all, but some. Napier's minutes went down from 30 to 20, basically, when Teague came back. He also stopped taking a ton of shots. Now, some of that also corresponded to Andrew Wiggins coming back because shots had to go that direction as well. But look, here's what it comes down to here. Even if Shabazz doesn't take many more shots, which I don't think he will, I don't think the usage is going up, and at some point, Cat is going, is going to come back, and then you have to assume none of these guys are going to get that many shots except maybe Culver as the third guy behind Cat and Wiggins in the the who-gets-the-shot pecking order. Rob Covington shots are definitely going to go down, but who cares because he's going to get four steals and two blocks a game. (laughs) Napier's not going to do that for you. What he will do is get the ball into the front court and bounce it while guys are running around and get it to them at hopefully about the right time. Because while Wiggins was on the shelf and while Teague was on the shelf... Napier was able to get about five to six assists per ball game, and I do think there's a way that he gets back near that number here. It's going to require him playing 28 or more minutes per game. You're probably going to see under 10 points per game. He's not going to be shooting very often. He's a good foul shooter, career 81, and better than that, his last three seasons in the NBA, he's actually about 83% the last three years, so he is a net positive there. He's bad from the field, so low volume is actually fine. Career 39 percenter. He does not pop the three ball very much, more this year than in and last year, actually, than in seasons past. So that's trending up a little bit, but not by much. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about six to nine points per ball game, six to seven assists, maybe, in a good scenario, and a little over a steal a game. Call it 1.2 and 1.2 three-pointers per game, maybe 1.4. That's not really a top 100 guy. Maybe it is. Maybe if the 6 to 9 points become more like 7 to 11. If he can average 9 and 6.5 and 
with over a steal and over a three-pointer, and he can do it without killing your field goal percent and while helping your free throw percent. That's enough categories to get him into the should-be-owned discussion. Where I added him was a spot specifically in need, specifically in need of assists. I needed assists on bad field goal percent. It's a, it's a head-to-head team where I'm punting field goal percent. And another spot I added him was a team where I am in first place in field goal percent by a pretty solid margin and also figured I could use some assists, and I'm probably not starting him in that league anyway. So there's a, it's a narrow band with him. It's a narrow band, but it's a band. And so I think at this point now you see how it plays out a little bit. So that's the lead. Secondary thing is, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. Nine minutes in, and I haven't even said what the show is. Fantasy NBA Today is the name of the show. I am Dan Bespris, your gracious host here on this Friday weekend edition of the podcast. We'll loop you around to Monday. I think you largely know how this show goes now. If you're a frequent listener, you know how the Friday editions turn out. We will profile the Thursday results, go through a week in review, pickups, drops, watch lists, streamers, hold, and I've added a stash notation. And then we'll get you set for the each team's next game over the weekend. Every All 30 teams will get you set up for their next game happening over the weekend. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Big thank you once again to everybody that continues to rate and review the podcast. You're the best. What do we have now? 423 or something completely off the wall high that I never thought we'd get to in a million years? You're the best, everybody. Please keep doing it. iTunes or the podcast app on your mobile device. And if you're sitting there thinking, Dan, I've done this. Please stop harassing me. Guess what? I'm going to harass you one more time because you can do it on your buddy's phone. Grab, grab, grab your buddy's phone. He's hanging out near you at the, at the office or wherever you're at. Maybe you're having a, a drink at a bar. And find a way to drop a five-star review on the pod from that. Love you guys. Love you guys. Keep dropping those reviews. Let's keep pushing our way up the charts. That's how we will go completely bananas next year when everybody's hunting for their next fantasy NBA fix on podcasts. I did also, by the way, say that I would continue to read reviews of the podcast as they came out. And so Bugs81, who left one on Thursday, said... Best Fantasy Hoops podcast by far. Informative, entertaining, and a great listen. Thank you. You are welcome, man. But really, thank you for writing something nice and also dropping that five-star review. Uh, And I'll just keep reading these things. I'm going to try to remember to do one a day. Be part of the review cavalry here. 400, wow, 425. I hadn't even looked until then. We got a couple more. Awesome. Man, you guys are awesome. And gals. The best of the best of the best. Let's start with Thursday. Let's start with the near the near past. It'll actually knock out some of the names on our various lists. Phoenix went into New York and beat the hell out of him thanks to largely Ricky Rubio. When Ricky, Ricky Rubio is healthy, Phoenix is a half-decent basketball team. When he's out, they are last year's Phoenix Suns. All the good things they've done. They didn't have Kelly Oubre for this game, so I think there was a little bit of fear that maybe they'd run into something. But they're 6-4 and four in their last 10 the loss, one of the losses, of course, coming with Rubio tending to the birth of his first child. Congratulations to Ricky Rubio. It's a hell of a thing now that, geez, now I'm in a position to talk about this sort of stuff. And they're 17 and 24, two games out of a playoff spot because that eight seed is still very much up for grabs. The Grizzlies playing their butts off right now, but they ain't going to win every game the rest of the way anyway. Also of note, DeAndre Ayton got his starting job back, played 35 minutes, and had a 2020 game. Huge. That's massive. It's probably, okay, so there's a few different ways of looking at this thing because he's been bouncing between okay games. This was a really big one. He's at 28 right now in 9-cat on a per-game basis. And I don't think it's that crazy to think that that's not far from where he ends up. That's an average of 17 and 12 with 1.6 blocks on pretty good percentages. I don't, the hope that he was going to be going higher than that in those two numbers, I think maybe relying on a couple more points, if that, I mean, 12 rebounds is a pretty good number. After a giant ball game like this, I wouldn't have any problem if you guys tried to trade him for someone inside the top 25. But also, this is a very good sign 
because Aaron Baines only played 15 minutes. Even in a blowout, somewhat surprising they didn't get somebody else in there for Aiton. Now, to be fair, Phoenix did pull away in the fourth quarter of this game. It was, uh, they had a lead, but it was within striking distance, and then they just ran them out of the building late. So that's why the minutes were not that screwy. They got Devin Booker out early enough where they didn't need to put him back. He had some foul issues in this ballgame as well. This is a really big one. I mean, Aiden's not going to go for 20-20 every game. This is also the Knicks, part of why Ricky Rubio had a huge ball game and Booker had a huge ball. Everybody that played pretty much had a big ball game. I'm sure Kelly Oubre's thinking, this is the one I have a damn concussion for. I could have gone nuts. No, you're not picking up Dario Saric. No, you're not picking up Mikael Bridges. Rubio, Aiden, Booker, and Oubre when he comes back. Those are your guys on this team. And then for Aiden, this is obviously, like we mentioned, this is a nice positive. For the Knicks... I don't like Alfred Payton. I don't know how many times I have to talk about it. Julius Randle playing better. He was pretty good in this one. And Mitchell Robinson, five defensive stats. Buy low, buy low, buy low if you can. Marcus Morris made his return at 17 points on 11 shots. Got a bunch of free throws and missed a few of them, which kind of was annoying. But uh, he looks like a start now going forward. And we heard that they might not trade him. R.J. Barrett sprained his ankle in this ballgame. That allowed Frank Nilakina to rack up 24 minutes, and he's not even close to fantasy relevant. New Orleans, Utah, overtime fun. The Pelicans behind Brandon Ingram's 49 and Derek Favors' 2010 double-double with five defensive stats on a brilliant 10 out of 12 shooting. Led the Pels' son Drew Holiday to a big win over Utah. This is one of the ones I liked on the betting standpoint because... No one believes the Pelicans' fortunes are 100% tied to Derek Favors' health. When he's in, they win. When he's out, they lose. It's like, it's weird. It's night and day, man. Somebody guarding the rim is everything for this team because they can get a rebound, get out and run, get some easy buckets. They held Utah to 49 points in the first half. Second half got a little bit more track meat-y. Lonzo Ball worth using, especially while everybody's out. He had a bad shooting game, but generally he'll be better than that. Josh Hart, while he's starting, is worth streaming. He had a couple threes, three steals, and a block. But obviously the stories in this one, Brandon Ingram's 49, and Derek Favors, whopper, with the just brilliant efficiency. He missed one free throw, had one turnover. Everything about this screamed nine-cat Mega beast. I'm very excited that he's back if it wasn't completely obvious. For Utah, apparently Mike Conley is getting close. We had a report that he was moving and had, I think they called it a vigorous workout. So he's coming around the bend here, which means we're going to have to figure out what the hell's going on with this team. Most likely Royce O'Neal will head to the bench. But then how do the touches get split up? I know Donovan Mitchell had 46 points, by the way. I didn't mean to bury that. They just, Utah from a fantasy standpoint has been oddly predictable all season long. And Mike Conley's return is going to create the first little ripple with this team in quite some time. Boston 123, Milwaukee 128, the final score in that one. Boston was another one that I mentioned from our, our Hoopball Gaming account. I think I, I talked about this one being the game they were looking ahead to. Fell behind big. Kemba Walker blew him back into it with 40, but it wasn't enough. Ennis Cantor just got eaten alive by the Bucks, but he's a hold Daniel Tice got more playing time because they needed somebody that could move around a little bit. You can't mess around with someone that's stationary against the Bucks. They will chew you up and spit you out. Gordon Hayward, tough one. He'll bounce back. Dante DiVincenzo had a big ball game, and he continues to somehow just barely stay above water. He is unbelievably boring from a fantasy standpoint, but he has actually been fantasy useful. He's number 102 in 9-cat on the year. He's been efficient, and I, I know, I mean, I get it. He's boring, but he's been number 80 over the last month. He really actually should be on fantasy teams and getting starting spots. It's not scoring. You know, he's only having 10 points a game over that stretch, but 47 from the field, 91 low-volume free throw, a steal and a half, half a block, five boards, three assists. He's just quietly producing a little bit and everything and not hurting you anywhere. But he is super boring. There's no upside there. So I get it. I understand why everybody wants to just look someplace else. He's the low upside king of the universe right now. But those guys are useful at the end of uh, particularly roto benches. you got to get to that games cap. You need to rack up some counting stats, and to do it without anything that's hurting you is a luxury. He's good enough, but he's super boring. I get it. 
And the late games from Thursday night. Orlando blown out in L.A. by the Clippers. You kind of figured that whatever bullet they had, they fired in that Lakers game. Kawhi Leonard's been dominant lately. Top five. He has moved into top five. So that's turning out to be a much better draft pick than I thought at the beginning of the year. So feeling good about the fact that I have him in a few spots. Although I made a trade Friday morning. Would Curious your thoughts on this. Kawhi Leonard and Tobias Harris for Anthony Davis. Yeah, I'm getting crazy. I know that there's this weird thing. So look, Kawhi's number five. AD is number two. But the difference between, and this is a value proposition, the difference in value between those two guys on a per-game basis right now, not to mention the fact that AD's actually played in three more games than Kawhi, despite Anthony Davis being out right now, the, the value proposition actually has the gap between Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis as about a second-rounder. So it's a hell of a block. It's a blockbuster deal, man. I'm going crazy. Let's get weird. Anyway, uh, so Kawhi's been awesome, but that's not even the point here. Ivica Zubats, Jermichael Green, I think, are the two guys we want to talk about. If Montrez Harrell, who only played 23 minutes and had 21 points and went 3-for-9 at the free throw line, if his minutes really are expected to be a little bit more in check, what does that mean for these other guys? I like Zubats as a pickup already. If Montrez gets moved and the Clippers are looking for, I don't know. I mean, it feels like the thing they need is size, but we're also hearing they want scoring out of the power forward spot and they can slide Kawhi and Paul George down a space on the floor. If Montrez Harrell somehow gets moved, I think Jamichael Green ends up as a big beneficiary as well. He double-doubled with a steal block and a three-pointer. He has a really neat fantasy game but I don't expect his minutes to be super consistent, nor is his game these days. And then Paul George coming back is going to take opportunities away, which is where Zubats thrives because he doesn't actually need any opportunity. He's going to take five shots a game, and he's going to make three or four of them. So I like him as a pickup. I, it's two games in a row. He's been up at over 20 points. I know you say blowout. Well, actually, his minutes came all before the blowout. He wasn't actually in there at the end of the ball game. Zubats played his 21 minutes before the third quarter ended. Does he play an extra minute in the fourth ever? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it is now they want to get him from 17 minutes to 22. Maybe that's the jump. It's not 17 to 24, which would be sort of optimal, but he actually would be a fantasy asset in 22 minutes. He'd be a top 100 guy. The Orlando side, I mean, there's this giant window for Markel Fultz, and of course he had the the, the, the great balancer after his monster triple-double, then he kind of pooped himself in this ballgame. Wesley Awundu was okay again. I'm a little surprised he's not getting the starts. I know they're going Kem Birch at power forward to start the ballgame. It feels like Awundu makes more sense, and maybe they turn it over him at some point, and his minutes have been high. And he'll get you some steals, some blocks. I just, uh, there's not much else going on there. So he stays on my watch list. Denver Golden State went to overtime. Damian Lee looked great in his return, played 37 minutes at 21-5-6, hit his free throws, steal a block, three three-pointers. He looks locked into, I would think, I mean, this is a great, this is a really big ball game for him, and they won't all be like this, but he feels like at least the top 100 guy going forward, provided that field goal percent can stay above 41. We don't need much, we do need that. Willie Cauley-Stein started this game, played 33 minutes at 10-6 with a steal and a block. It felt very Nikola Jokic-related because Denver has a huge, huge pair of centers in Jokic and Mason Plumley, And Omari Spellman only played 17 minutes, which makes him a damn hard guy to roll out there in weekly leagues. It makes him a damn hard guy to use in head-to-head -head unlimited formats. The only way that this makes sense at all is in a games cap where you're just like, all right, I got to make sure I check my phone 10 minutes before the Warriors game starts every time they play and find out who the hell's in the starting lineup, which frankly, I don't have time for. And I'm betting you don't either, which means I'm probably moving on from both of these guys. Marquise Chris played 11 minutes as well. So that's another body in there at power forward center. And so I think I'm probably going to, sort of rehash where I was standing on this. I thought Spellman had taken over the job. It seemed like he'd started a bunch of games in a row, racking up minutes between 25 and 30. Willie Cauley-Stein had been totally phased out, and then all of a sudden, 33 minutes for Big Willie. Okay. Draymond Green played 36 minutes. Makes me worried he's going to skip the next one. D'Angelo Russell played 36 minutes and had another inefficient shooting game, but he did have six threes and nine assists, so you sort of let him off the hook a little bit. 
This Warriors team is tough, man. Real tough. Damian Lee feels like he's above the cut line. Unless, and we've said this before, unless Steph Curry comes back and then everything gets sort of re rejumbulated here, rejiggered. That won't be fun at all. For Denver, they've had to mix and match with no Gary Harris, no Paul Millsap, and no Jamal Murray in this one. Managed to come from behind and win it in overtime. Jokic, 23-12-8 with a couple of blocks. He should be solid. Did have nine turnovers in this game. Good grief. Mason Plumlee saw a bunch of action. Jeremy Grant played plenty but didn't do a whole lot. I still like him, actually, as one of the safer replacement-level guys. Malik Beasley came off the bench for 39 minutes, had his big pop-off game. Michael Porter Jr. at 18-10-5 with two steals and a block. Will Barton went nuts, and Monty Morris didn't. So you figured Monty Morris taking over for Jamal Murray, he would do something. Not really. Jeremy Grant had been playing well, and then he got quiet. If you want to roll the dice on these guys, by all means, go for it. But I am not with you. I'm going to go Jokic. Will Barton's going to do a absolute ton while everybody's out. And then as far as these other guys goes, like I said, I think Jeremy Grant's the one you trust because we've seen him do it before, because we know he has a pretty good fantasy profile. But I don't know that I venture into any of these dudes. Quick reminder here before we hit our week in review portion of the proceedings that we are continuing to take recruits at hoop-ball.com. And I want to throw out the sales flag once again. We've got our sales team up and running, but we need more warm bodies. If you have midday availability and you want to get into a sales position, obviously there is money to be made. Hit me up at Dan Vespers on Twitter or shoot an email over to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Would love to have you aboard again Midday availability is a must. You need to be able to make sales calls when people are picking up their phone. It's fairly straightforward. But again, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Bug me, bug me, bug me. Even if it's a fleeting interest, even if you're not sure, I can give you a few more details that way. I'm not going to go into a whole spiel on the podcast, but we'd love to have you. We got a really cool team that's building out right now. Everybody's just kind of hitting the ground at the moment. And if you want to join, this would be a great time to do it. Get in there before the machine is rumbling. Once the machine is rumbling, it's hard to drop new pieces in. I mean, we will. Make no mistake. We'll be expanding basically forever at this rate. But uh, hit me up. Again, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Weekend Review. This is always a fun part of our Friday shows where we talk about the greatest, greatest, the pickups, the drops, the the watch list guys, the holds, the streamers of a week gone by. Basically, what we're doing here is we're looking at every team's most recent game, and then we're going to look at every team's next game, and that's how we tie it all together into Monday. The pickups. Ivica Zubats. First on the list. Not necessarily because he's going to be the greatest fantasy player the rest of the way, but the Clippers are clearly trying to scale back Montrez Harrell. We saw a lot of articles starting to come out, and when where there's smoke, as they say, there's fire. His minutes were very high this year. Career high, 29 minutes a game after a career high 26 minutes a game last year. It's hard to play 29 minutes a game when you're coming off the bench. And what we saw is that his efficiency was taking a dip. His free throw shooting was falling. His rebounding was falling. His defensive stats were falling. His field goal percent was falling. And Clippers beat writers... And I, you know, I have to think that some of it is coming from internal sources then, had started to put out pieces about Montrez Harrell just being gassed. Because he would come into a game, Zubats would play like the first seven minutes. Montrez would come in, and he'd usually play some 13, 14 minutes in a row in the first half. Maybe more. And maybe Zubats would get back in for like two minutes in the second quarter somewhere just to give Montrez a little breather and then sometimes he'd come back in again and the third and fourth quarter was even more egregious Zubats would play probably the first eight minutes of the third quarter and then oftentimes you'd see Montrez play the last 16 minutes of the game in a row they tried to take some timeouts maybe give him like a 30 second breather or something like that but he was getting worked over man he played 35 minutes in that game against New York yeah, he played 30 minutes against Golden State, 31. It's really hard. I mean, picture this in your mind. Someone, in this case it's Evita Zubats, is playing the first eight minutes of the ball game. That gives you 16 minutes left in the half. 
And this is a guy that's getting to 30 minutes in a ballgame, which means that if you do that twice, he's playing 30 out of 32 minutes over those stretches. There is not a good way. I know you're saying, well, blah, 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 you know, he rested to start the ballgame. Yeah, but it's about, it's about how the minutes get distributed. There is no way for me to say to you, hey, innocent bystander who's okay at math, tell me, what's the most efficient way to play 30 out of 32 minutes? And you might say, well, um, I mean, ideally, I'd play a seven-and-a-half-minute segment and then I'd rest 30 seconds, and then I'd do that four times, basically. And that's almost what was going on with him. But there was a halftime in there, and then, you know, Zubats played eight minutes to start the third quarter. But what it looks like might be happening here, and, and I still think he's going to get, you know, the 20 minutes he played against Cleveland is going to be very much on the low side. I still think you're looking at probably more like 24 to 26 minutes a game, but it's going to be more like what we saw last year, where maybe he could play 13 minutes in a row, or maybe they try to dial him back down to 11 minutes or 12 minutes in the first half, and then let Zubats play the first 10 minutes of the second half and get Montrez in there for the last 14. So I think there's a little bit of a changing of the guard here. I really like what this potentially means for Zubats. His big issue wasn't his stat set, it was his minutes played. I don't think he's a great basketball player by any stretch. I'm not going to go out there and, and call Zubats a world beater. But here's the thing. You don't have to be a world beater if you're a center who can make some free throws. You don't. You don't have to be a world beater in that scenario. You just have to be decent and getting some minutes. That's it. And so I think he needs to be added in a lot of places. Because you're looking at a guy that, you know, going from averaging 8 and 7 in what you know 19ish minutes a game if even that 18 minutes a game if that 18 goes up to 22 or 23 you're talking about a guy that now averages probably more like 10 and 9 with over a block a game on good field goal and not awful free throw that's well inside the top 100 easy so to me he's an ad right now at least while we see all this plays out. I put Sekou Dumbuya on this thing. I don't want to talk about him too much because I think we've spent enough time on the podcast over the last week pounding the drum on what to expect there. Not necessarily that everything's going to be hunky-dory because guys have speed bumps, but this is a you got to have him to see how it plays out, and at this point, he's on everybody's roster, so we're not going to kill a bunch of time there anyway. Jared Culver is that same story. He should have been added even before Dumbuya weeks and weeks ago. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it 101. Jared Culver to me, he strikes me as a guy that could just go completely crazy next year. Like we might be a year early on this one. So if you're in a keeper league, must, must, must add. Trade for him if you have to. His per 36s look incredibly juicy and getting better as he adjusts to the NBA game. It's that free throw percent. We got to keep him off the line. Luckily, he hasn't shot one in the last four ball games. But again, I mean, this is a guy that can go out and get you two steals and a block. He has not Jonathan Isaac level upside in that. No one has that. But he has get you both rebounds, assists from the wing spot. There's a ton to like about this dude. And the three-pointer starting to come around a little bit. Not much, but, you know, one a game is better than zero. This year? Mm, questionable. Remains to be seen. Shabazz Napier is a maybe, as we already talked about earlier in this in this show. Uh, Damian Lee should never have been dropped. I know everybody was freaking out, and on Twitter I said over and over again, the Warriors beat writers are saying they're adding him back to the roster on Wednesday, and sure enough, they did, and then he played on Thursday, and he looked pretty good. Again, not a world beater, but a wing that can get you a few assists, some steals. He's a good rebounder, great foul shooter. The question is going to be, can he hit a high enough field goal percent to not kill you? And I'm not certain. But I think he deserves a roster spot. He's an end-of-your-bench guy. Somewhat limited upside, but should be pretty fun. The only way that this one falls apart is if Steph Curry comes back. Because as I mentioned before, he ends up then sharing wing minutes with Glenn Robinson instead of each guy getting their own spot on the floor. While I'm talking about the Warriors, let's talk about Omari Spellman because he didn't get the start against the Nuggets, and I have to believe that was Nikola Jokic-related 
But at the same time, that also means that they're still tinkering. That means Willie Cauley-Stein is going to get spot starts against giant all-star caliber centers because they don't want Omari Spellman, who's what, like a generous 6'7", dealing with a 7-footer that can take him hard into the post. And credit, by the way, Willie Cauley-Stein did a pretty good job on Jokic, or maybe Jokic was just drunk for this ballgame. Whatever the case, it worked. You know, they held him down. Comparatively, it's all comparatively, but it worked. So you may see this when the Warriors play teams with centers. When they go against teams that are a little smaller or a little faster, a little more wiry, and it's not just the giant ogre who can do all the things, then maybe you see Spellman back in there and he gets his 28 minutes. But you got to be comfortable with a spot starter, and that really screams Roto with a low games cap. Because this one, I wasn't at my damn computer to see if he was starting. I just assumed he would be, and then he wasn't. I checked midway through the first quarter, Saw he hadn't played yet and thought, oh, is he hurt? Ah, damn, he's coming off the bench. The worst. The worst of all worlds. So I'm actually okay with moving on in a lot of situations there. I get it if you want to hang on and do that spot starting thing. But to me, there are enough guys floating around on the wire right now that I'd I'd rather have that are actually going to get in there and play minutes every game. This is also a pisser for a spot where I desperately needed a big man, and I went his way, and he doesn't have center eligibility, and so now i got to figure out some other path to take in that one. Um, but that's my problem and not yours. Eric Gordon and Ben McLemore are not on my pickup list. They're not on any of these lists because I don't know that they should have ever been added, but I'm going to put them on the drop side just because... They don't do enough things that are not three-pointers. They're always going to kill you in field goal percent. They don't get steals or blocks. Neither one of them is actually shooting that great of a free throw percentage for whatever reason. They don't rebound. They don't assist. You can't be good at only one thing. If that one thing doesn't happen, then you're a massive negative. But you know who is on my pickup list? Luke Cornett. He could be, I mean, he's a streamer. He's a streamer, sorry, but when a streamer can last you three or four weeks, you start to look a little bit more long-term. You start to call him a little bit more than that. I love his damn game. I think he belongs on your team. you got to find a way to start him because he can do things that other people can't. Then I understand if you're, you know, you got a team where you don't want to have a streaming slot. I just, boy, he could go so nuts for three or four weeks. I just, uh, that's so much damage. And I know he's going to go back to a pumpkin when Gafford or Wendell Carter Jr. comes back, but he's got this massive ramp, and everybody's like, what about Thad Young? I'm like, yeah, but that would mean that Lowry Markkinen has to play center, and I don't think they really want that, at least not long-term. Little stretches, yes, but most of the time, they want a big guy getting beat up down there. So the Unicornet, that's your guy there. Drops, other drops. Alfred Payton, you guys know I hate his fantasy game. Blech. He gets a fat blech from me. Alfred Payton kills you in way too many things. I can't get on board with that nonsense. Bruce Brown. Um, I think he's been ruined by the return of Markeith Morris, oddly enough. I didn't expect this. I mentioned it on, I think it was yesterday's show. But Markeith's minutes going up actually haven't come at the expense of Dumbuya. They've slid him down to small forward. They've played a di- They've slid Tony Snell down to shooting guard, and they've run Derrick Rose exclusively at point guard lately. And so if Reggie Jackson ever comes back, well, that's going to put the nail in the, the coffin here. So I'll just get out in front of it. Jeff Teague is on my drop list, but we talked about him earlier, so I don't need to repeat that. And Daniel House is on my drop list because he stopped shooting, but he has been for a couple of weeks now. It continues to make me sad, but I've learned to accept my fate. Washington is just all kinds of names, and I figured we could just go all over all of them at the same time. Ish Smith, Isaiah Thomas, Gary Payton, Troy Brown Jr., and Yamahimi are all drops. The only guy I have on Washington that continues to be a hold is Jordan McRae, more so in points formats because he has some issues percentages that'll hurt you in head in, uh, in nine cat, where maybe in points you can wipe those out a little bit. But it does look like when he's on the floor, he's just going to be gunning. And I don't know that there's any number of minutes that Bradley Beal is going to play this year that's going to completely eliminate that. So points leagues, you keep him going. Nine category leagues, you can probably move on there as well. He was in my hold list, but you guys got to hear him a little bit early. Uh, let me give you the hold names, actually, while we're talking about them. Ennis Cantor is a hold. He's going to bounce back against a team that's not as capable as Milwaukee. And then, you know, Boston kind of ran drunk against the Pistons the day before. That one 
they were all just out to lunch. Torian Prince is a hold for me. I know he's been pretty bad, and I'm okay if you guys want to drop him, but he looks more comfortable playing alongside Kyrie Irving. So I feel like I would give that at least a little bit of a shot before moving on. Duncan Robinson is a hold for me, uh, a specialist hold, obviously, but he continues to see giant minutes no matter who's healthy for the Heat. He's the he's like the one non-Butler or Adebayo guy who you can rely on to play a decent chunk of minutes every game and take a whole bunch of three-pointers. As I've said before, he's Eric Gordon or Ben McLemore, but not 38%. That's what pushes him up into that 100 range. Miles Bridges, I'm going to put him back in the hold category. Honestly, I would have dropped him a long time ago. I don't really care. If you're on this thing, I get it. There's a mental hurdle to get over where you don't want to move on from this guy that you probably drafted. But there are better players out there right now. Some of the guys on our ad list. And then P.J. Tucker, who continues to wet himself, but I'm holding on if I can. Some of the teams, you know, I get it. If you're in a head-to-head and you're sort of on the bubble you probably can't put up with a bunch of those zeros. And he's literally getting zeros right now. So, all right. Watch list, guys. Markeith Morris, if his minutes keep trending up, I don't know who the hell it's going to be at the expense of. I would have to think it's somebody like a Tony Snell. Like, maybe they could run a Drummond, Keefe, Dumbuya front court uh, with Sekou playing the small forward. Get Tony Smell out of the... Smell? Tony Snell out of the picture. <laughs> uh, don't tell him I said that. And then you run... What, Svee and Derrick Rose as your your point guard, shooting guard, not in that order? Is there anybody else that really needs to be on the floor for that team? I mean, Christian Wood's the guy we're thinking about, but that he'd be behind Andre Drummond. We also, by the way, speaking of Detroit, we got word that Andre Drummond to the Hawks is no longer a thing, but that could start back up again. At least for now, that rumor's dead. He might end up staying put, which is an idiotic thing for Detroit because they should just get anything. But uh, let me explain a leverage situation here. We're all thinking short-term, and teams have to think much longer than that. If Detroit goes out and sells Andre Drummond for pennies, the next time they have a guy on the block, teams are going to try to take him to the woodshed again. That's a bad look. Remember, the Lakers didn't trade Pau Gasol. I was a Laker fan. I thought, this is idiotic. Get anything. Get a second rounder. I don't care. You can package it in a trade later on. But in the short-term... That makes a lot of sense. In the long term, these teams don't want to be thought of as the team that got fleeced. They would rather be the team that just went to the grave with someone than the team that got totally annihilated in a trade. Right? We're still talking about what Boston did to Brooklyn 15 years ago now. Right? Isn't that almost 15 years ago? It might be 15 years ago. I've lost track of the time. Maybe a little less than that. We're still talking about what an idiotic thing Brooklyn did. Would we be calling Boston idiotic if they just sort of went to the grave with their old guys? Screw it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll play it out. Would we be calling Brooklyn idiotic if they had just done nothing in that? Now, it's the wrong example because they were on the wrong side of that thing. Does anybody talk about the Lakers not trading Pau Gasol? No. But I promise you, if the Lakers traded Pau Gasol and got fleeced, we would definitely still be talking about it. And so that's what a team like Detroit is worried about. Even though it's kind of dumb, they should just try to get something. They want something good. They want a young player, or they want firsts. And teams are reluctant to part with that for a rental, especially for a guy. And I love Andre Drummond. I love his fantasy game. But in the modern NBA, he's a little bit of a relic. He's a unique player, but he has to fit on the right scenario. So that's why these things are still on the table. We might not ever get to Christian Wood this year. Which is why, yes, he's listed as a potential stash along with a guy like a Larry Nance, but something's got to get out of their way. I hate stashes. I haven't done this rant in a long time on the podcast, but maybe today's the day. I don't like stashing players that need something moved in front of them to have value. I'll stash an injured guy who's going to come back and get his job. You know, I stashed Marc Gasol in one of my leagues. I stashed Norman Powell in a couple of my leagues. I stashed, you know, that's I stashed Jonas Valančiūnas last year who got dropped when he was out for 2 months. That stuff I'll do because when you you know a guy's going to do something when he comes back. The stashes I hate are guys like Nance, like Christian Wood where you're like, "Well, all we need is a trade." Yeah, but I mean, how many big trades really happen 
on an annual basis? The answer is not many. Really not many. And so to rely on that, it might come through, but think about how many guys you're missing out on by not, by stashing that guy. By Christian Wood, in this case, he's probably been on your roster for what? Three, four, five weeks already? You know, we, we were talking about this weeks ago when the first Drummond rumor came out. That was before the end of the year, wasn't it? Three weeks ago? You're already sitting on him for three weeks and he's got you, what, two good ball games, which you may or may not have even have started him for? Think of all the guys that have come and gone over that stretch. Hot pickups that have emerged and disappeared again. Whether it's streamers, if you're in a head-to-head format, or Roto, you're looking at guys that might have might be. I mean, Damian Lee surfaced over that stretch. He's a rest of rest of season guy. The examples are numerous. I don't have them all in front of me at the moment, and maybe I should for a rant. Uh, Kevin Herter probably emerged. Jared Culver emerged over that stretch. DeAnthony Melton has been coming on over that stretch. The names are numerous, guys, that you have potentially been missing out on by sitting on a dude who may or may not ever get an opportunity. So I I just, I hate this stash. I really hate it. I'll do it once in a blue moon, but not often. A couple more watch list guys. Thad Young's on the watch list in case his minutes ever trend up towards 30 and Chicago just decides they go marking in at the center spot, but I don't think that's happening. And Matisse Thibault until Joel Embiid comes back in case Philly decides they want to go with their smaller lineup and bench Mike Scott. I have minimal faith that either one of those things is going to fully come through. A couple of streamer names just before we check out for the day. Jeremy Grant in Denver with Paul Millsap on the shelf. Maxi Kleba in Dallas with Kristaps Porzingis, now very strangely still on the shelf. Markel Fultz, who I know a lot of you guys are saying, what are you talking about, Dan? He's a fantasy asset. Nah. Not really. Even with that giant triple-double, he's still only number 165 in 9-cat. But with DJ Augustine ruled out for two to four weeks, Markel Fultz is ready to roll. This is a really nice month for him to get it going. Must add, must own. He's already on people's teams because they were running him out there when he wasn't actually a fantasy asset. So it's not like you can do anything about this one anyway. But those teams all just got a nice boost because now he actually finally will have fantasy value. So congratulations. You did something wrong for two and a half months and now you're going to be rewarded for it. And finally, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, but I think Anthony Davis will be back pretty soon. I'd be pretty surprised if we missed more than about another one or two games. Hey, sign up for the Hoop Ball newsletter. I haven't you guys weren't, reminded you guys about that in a while. It's hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. And now, let's wrap things up on this Friday show. Let's take a look at every team's next game they got coming up and what we're looking for over the weekend. Starting, of course, with tonight. A seven-game Friday. Chicago is at Philadelphia. Well, you know damn well what I'm looking for in this ballgame, and his name is Luke Cornett. He might he might get the damn start against Philadelphia. Well, there's no Joel Embiid, so they might not. You might see them go marking in at the five to start the ballgame because Horford is not generally a banger, although he's a really smart basketball player. But you're going to see a lot of Luke Cornett, and I'm curious about that. Thibault on the other side is a guy worth watching. Washington-Toronto later on today. Also an early start time. Wizards, Thomas Bryant's minutes figure to be a tiny bit higher. Davis Breton's minutes figure to be a tiny bit higher. Bradley Beal, maybe a tiny bit higher. We don't know. I still think you can pretty much move on from all of those other guys. Toronto is sort of interesting. We don't have an exact date for Freddie Van Vliet's return, but it sounds like it's not that far off. I'm pretty curious what that does to both Norman Powell, and Serge Ibaka. I know it's weird to bring up a big man, but as one guy's minutes go up, there's a chance that they end up going smaller, and then what we saw early in the year is actually Ibaka that was kind of getting wedged out. What Could it potentially wedge out OG Ananobi here at this later juncture? Do they play him at power forward less and Ibaka at power forward more? Obviously, we're all worried about what it's going to do to Norman Powell, But I think at this point, you just roll along with what you've got, which right now is Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, and of course, Pascal Siakam. It's a a lot of guys. And it's funny that one guy coming back might actually hurt two or three others. They may become less fantasy relevant merely because of a minutes and usage thing. 
So right now, we're just tracking. We're keeping an eye on everything. It seems like this is going to be the lineup for a few games, and then Van Fleet's come back, and, and we'll probably fade them at that point for a game or two on the betting side, but that's a different discussion altogether. Minnesota in the first game post-Jeff Teague trade. I, I don't believe that Alan Crabb, is he expected to suit up? It doesn't matter really either way. You're just going to see more Jarrett Culver. If you picked up Shabazz Napier in a non-unlimited format, meaning that weekly or counting against your games cap or whatever, I think I'm probably keeping him on my bench for a game to see what they really are planning on doing with him. You could roll the dice, but Indiana's a good defensive team. It's not a great game to just to gauge your Shabazz. It, that's, a fun, that's a fun name for a song. Maybe your new fantasy team, Gauge Your Shabazz. If you're going to gauge him, this is not the great game to do. Now, now, that's not to say that something couldn't pop off. He might have a good one. It just, in my mind, it feels like he's set up to be a very low usage, orchestrate the offense, six to seven assist kind of point guard that doesn't do much else. I hope there are steals, as I mentioned earlier in the show. By the way, we also got word that Cat is now officially a game-time decision for this one, and if he plays in the very first game after they get rid of Jeff Teague, I- I'm, gonna, I'm going full conspiracy theorist on this one. Right? There are all these videos circulating of those two guys getting at each other's throats, and now he's suddenly a game-time decision? I don't know, man fishy stuff. Indiana, not much going on there for the fantasy side, so we'll keep rumbling along. Cleveland, it seems like Darius Garland is here to stay, and when I say that, I don't mean that he's going to be a superstar. He might get better. I mean, I don't know what the future may bring, but as far as this year goes, it seems like he's going to probably squeeze himself inside the top 100. We are, of course, continuing to look at what's going on in the trade market. First domino fell. Does Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson follow I already talked about with Detroit earlier on. This was the story with Kevin Love. They're not just going to send him away for peanuts. They might send Tristan Thompson away for peanuts. That's, the, that's why I have a little bit more faith that something's going to happen in Cleveland. Because Andre Drummond, you, they, Detroit wants superstar value coming back. That's probably not going to happen. They'll have to settle for something in between if they do pull the trigger. Whereas with Cleveland, anything you get for Tristan Thompson is going to be considered a win. Because he's a he's a, a a role player, a fringy role player at the end of a big contract that's not going to be anything close to what he's getting in the future. The team that picks him up probably isn't going to make that tough of a move at re-signing him. Maybe they will. I don't know. Whereas Kevin Love, tougher guy to move, bigger contract, better player, yes, but much larger contract, much more in the way of baggage, and on the Cleveland side, expecting much more. So that's why I do think. And I, and I said it before, I'm not a massive fan of the stash thing. I know I've talked about Larry Nance a few times in the past. I think he has a better chance to get to value than whatever's going on in Detroit just because either guy getting out of his way would be a good deal. With Detroit, it's one key piece, and the, key, the piece is going to be the guy that commands probably the largest haul of the trade set, deadline season if he moves. So we'll keep watching all that stuff. Memphis, the Grizzlies, they're just fun right now. This feels like a letdown game, if ever there was one. They've been beating up on good teams. They're on a winning streak. Everything's going all hunky-dory. And then they got the Cavs rolling in, but nothing fantasy-wise. Miami, same kind of deal. Not a whole lot fantasy-wise. OKC, same thing. Atlanta, first game with their new players, or are they even suiting up? I don't know that Jeff Teague is active for this game. If he is, I don't really care either way. They'll, They'll slot him in, and he'll get his role slowly. I do like the Hawks. I think the trade they made sends a nice message to the team Go play hard. We want you guys to get wins. We are not one of the teams that wants to lose all the ball games, even though they have to this point gone 9-32. and 32. They have the worst record in the Eastern Conference, and they're only a game up on the Warriors. This is management saying, look, this wasn't supposed to be this way. If, if John Collins didn't take the roides and have to miss 25 games, if... Uh, if, if Kevin Herter doesn't miss the first month and a half dealing with his various assortment of nagging injuries, this is, we wanted to be, not maybe not a playoff team, but we wanted to be competitive. We wanted to be in that group with the Pistons, the Bulls, the Nets, the Hornets. We wanted to be at 15 to 18 wins right now, not nine. So here, we're going to go get you a backup tray so you don't feel so awful when you leave the game and the team falls apart at the seams. We're going to get somebody who can at least keep the offense from completely bursting at the seams. So go win some games. Go have some fun. 
put a few W's on the board. We're probably not going to make the playoffs. We're nine and a half games out at this point. It ain't happening. It, it, we're halfway through the year. But go win some games. We want, we want some victories. That's a good message to send. And in this, this is the dog days. You ask any basketball player, January's the dog days. All-star break's not close enough. Christmas is now behind you. There aren't any specialty things happening. MLK Day is a fun one, but it's not, you know, it's not a day that these guys mark on the calendar. It's not marquee games across the board like Christmas is. And it's not a break time either. So this is just the slog. And things that make a team more active or engaged during the slog is part of some of the stuff that we really focus on with wagering. Now, we'll see if it, if it shakes itself out. I just, from an emotional standpoint, I like it. Spurs, Blazers, not a whole lot there from the fantasy side. Dallas, same kind of thing. I mean, you know, Dwight Powell's rolling, Kleba's streaming. We'll see if Kristaps Porzingis gets back in for any of these games. Turn our attention towards Saturday, see if we can wrap up. I think that Saturday's a pretty big day, if I'm not mistaken. That should wrap up most of the teams for the weekend. Clippers, Ivica Zubas, we've already talked about him. He's a guy to watch for sure. And Montrez Harrell, who may have that arrow pointing down right now. We're even seeing trade rumors localizing on Montrez, which I assume would mean Zubats and then Jermichael Green would probably have a ton of value if he logged a bunch of center minutes, which he could. Something else to keep an eye on. Definitely not a stash. New Orleans, everything with that team revolves around who's actually playing. If Derek Favors is playing, which I assume he will be because he looked awesome in that Thursday game, then they have a good chance to win. That's just the way it's been going. Like, Kawhi Leonard's been going crazy. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, not a whole lot there. You guys know how I feel about most of the Nets, not named Kyrie Irving or Jared Allen. DeAndre Jordan will wait and get a better idea of what his timeline is, but if he misses anything, then Allen gets a massive power boost. Phoenix, Kelly Oubre, well, hopefully he's out of the concussion protocol. We shall see. If not, we got a good idea of what that was yesterday as well. Boston, this would be a perfectly good game for Anis Kanter to bounce back against a Phoenix front court that, frankly, isn't that great defensively. Pretty good offensively, so Canner's going to have his hands full, but it's not like he's going to be chasing guys to the three-point line very often. I know, I know, Aaron Baines can shoot the three. Don't, you don't have to tell me, but you, get, you catch my drift. Detroit, Atlanta, another opportunity for Drummond to try to convince Atlanta to come trade for him. Seems unlikely. You know, we heard the, the, the report that that's not on the table anymore, but you never know. Things can rekindle. And in the meantime, we're watching guys like Markeith Morris, see him, if his minutes ramp up. Who does that really put a hole into? So far, oddly, and this is the same thing we were talking about with Freddie Van Vliet and what that would do to a big man in Toronto, a big man coming back in Detroit has actually ruined Bruce Brown in sort of a weird, funky-dunk twist. So we'll see if that keeps up. Do they shift Dumbuya down to the three does Markeith actually move into fantasy value? There is a planet where he could move into fantasy value. It wasn't that long ago that Markeith Morris was actually on fantasy radars. We act like the, the Morris twins are not, they could never be and have never been fantasy relevant. Now, for Marcus Morris, this is the best opportunity he's had. But, I mean, think back to Markeith in his, like, second or third year in Phoenix, his time in Washington. There were stretches in there where he was at, 14, 15 points, six rebounds, a steal, half a block. That's a fantasy-relevant guy. I know we don't want it to be a thing, but we don't control that. So we're going to watch it. That's what we do. We keep an eye on it. Philly, New York. Philadelphia, terrible on the road. Knicks, I mean, you got your last chance here to maybe make a move on Mitchell Robinson. Chicago, Luke Cornett, although we'll have... Yeah, I mean, that's something to watch here they're playing we already talked about them on friday so we've already got what we're looking for they're on the back-to-back toronto minnesota we're good on that front lakers it's just about whether or not anthony davis is healthy houston there's a lot of wings on this team and not many of them are doing stuff lately eric gordon is chucking ben mclemore is chucking pj tucker is the opposite of chucking taking the basketball home with him daniel house has vanished completely Orlando Golden State would be curious to see if Willie Cauley-Stein's back into the starting lineup for this one or if it's Omari Spellman. That makes either of those guys extremely difficult to hold on to. We talked about Portland, OKC, Sacramento. Don't expect to see anything different there than the last ball game, so no real fantasy adjustments on that front either. 
And then Utah, I think we'll just start paying attention to whether or not Mike Conley's coming back, because I, I think it's going to be pretty soon. By all indicators, it's coming around the bend. And then I think Denver is the only team that doesn't play Friday, Saturday. If I Maybe I'm getting that wrong, but they're not super interesting anyway. It just has to do with who's actually in their starting lineup. And of course, I know I threw a few betting thoughts in there. If you're going to do any of that betting stuff, oh, it's so much fun. You got to come on, join us. Just put like five bucks on a game. Throw 50 bucks into mybookie.ag with promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y. Again, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is, 60, 100. Don't go crazy. Something affordable. And then let's just put a small amount on these games. Follow our guys over at, at Hoopball Gaming and Today in Sports Betting, the brand new Hoopball Betting Podcast. Ira's gone nuts here. He's 15 and 5 this week. What a way to start off a new show. Unbelievable. Obviously, it won't be like that every week. If it was, you guys would all be millionaires, and, and Ira's not a millionaire yet. Yet. <laughs> Maybe the pressure is bringing out the best in him. I don't know. There's the ebb and the flow. We're going to take this, uh, you know, a day at a time on the betting side, but go get it started. Put a few bucks into your account. Use promo code T-O-D-A-Y, the word today, at mybookie.ag, and let's start growing our bankroll together. Let's do it. The weekend is upon us, everybody. Of course, reverse chronological lightning round coming up on Monday. Please do continue to drop those five-star reviews on the pod. Hit me up if you want to be part of the madness here at HoopBall. We are continuing to add contributors, especially on that sales side. We'd love to grow that department even more than we have. I am Dan Vespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We'll talk to you Monday. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.